Somebody once told me that his name is John C. Do you know the way? It's over 9,000! It's a double rainbow all the way. Study bit me. Hello there. Hey, you. Finally away. So has a kid, has a wife. I'm a fire in the labor. Super hot fire. I spit that. So just do it! Hello and welcome to the 2020 edition of the Year in Memes podcast, an annual limited-run podcast series unwrapping the year that was through the lens of the memes we shared and exploring what those memes say about us, our world, and what's important to us. My name is Paul Bautista, a millennial podcaster from New York City who spends way too much time thinking about this sort of thing, and I'll be your guide for this series. Also, a quick heads up, this episode does contain some explicit language. I'll also be uploading a version of this podcast to YouTube with the memes described displayed on screen to better follow along. A link to that will be in the show notes. While we haven't yet gotten to the point where I can have a full-on conversation with a deep learning AI about memes, I do have my dear friend Wing So to talk about technology and memes with. Uh, Wing, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, you know, uh, your name, where you're from, and your favorite meme of all time. Hello, I am not AI, but human. Wing, hi, nice (laughs) to be on. I'm originally born in Hong Kong, but since the age of three, I've grown up in the Bay Area, California. And uh, my favorite meme of all time is quite a difficult question to answer because there's so many memes and many of which I don't even know about. One that I that I do enjoy, wouldn't say necessarily favorite, is the, the women yelling at cats. What I love about it is the fact that I have absolute disregard for context because later I would realize that like it's two images composited together. But I think the space in which it lets people imagine the conversation and build off of it, I think that's kind of the essence of a meme. And I also really like that GIF from this one roast video that was done. I don't know if some of you have seen it. I use WhatsApp often and it's a GIF that you can use where basically this guy is told off someone over a roast and then his whole homies behind him were like, psych, that's the wrong number. Oh, Oh, snap, what did he say, fuck. Um, I use that often, so... I, I think I know which one you're talking about. We'll see if I get it right in the YouTube video. And also, you know, uh, just so it helps, you know, the listeners know, I guess, what do you do, quote-unquote, in your day job? And you, you can't see me, but I have air quotes going on. Well, I would say my day job these days are mostly as a side hustler, like with many projects. Um, I'm working on a few uh, brand strategy and creative production projects with micro brand clients. So people who are entrepreneurs starting to their own business. I just finished my master's program out in Europe. So I'm actually trying to put myself into the brand and communication space and 
hopefully soon. So meanwhile, I've been freelancing um, and being creative on the side. Sounds like you're definitely qualified to talk about just technology and communication, right? That's kind of like the juncture of, you know, what UX UI design is about almost, right? To some extent, I'm always learning. Okay, so so before we get into t- today's episode of how technology shapes, you know, the nature of online communication, it's kind of worth defining what we mean when we say meme. You told me you're not super into meme culture before, you know, this whole conversation. But when I tell you I've got a meme I want to share with you, what comes to mind for you exactly? To be honest, the first thing I would think of is you want to send me a template with like the, the standardized font and picture. And that's what I think is in my imagination. But I know that it comes in many forms. So, but that's the dominant thing that comes to my mind. For if that's the first thing that comes to mind, you said there were other things. What else, you know, comes to mind when you think of memes? Gosh, there's a couple of cultural icons that pop to mind, like Pepe the Frog and and like certain illustrations, like the angry drawn man that's like, ah, I think of 4chan, I think of, because that's where a lot of the memes come from, um, this obscure place of the internet. Um, I think of GIFs and that's get sent around. I also think of the social media spaces. What I mean, I'm not very involved in meme culture. I wasn't as invested in the subcultures of the internet the way my uh, high school and middle school days were when I think it was still very much forming in different pockets. And now I think it's so spread out, it's hard to, like you You can find your own personalized spaces of subculture for memes. For instance, um, on Instagram, now you can like go on and the algorithm knows quite well what you're into. And so one time I clicked on a um, like a makeup post, I think, and now the algorithm thinks I'm into makeup and beauty stuff, which is entertaining to me. But then that also turns into lots of memes about that sector, that culture of what it means to like beautify yourself and all that stuff. That's actually a really good segue to the next question I had for you, right? So, you know, a lot of the memes, like 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 you alluded to, kind of are determined by where we spend our times online. Um, and you kind of alluded to like WhatsApp, and and, and Instagram, but are there any other places that you spend a lot of time that, you know, you think influence the kind of memes that you come across? Oh, yeah. I think one that might not be super obvious, but really is a place of influence is YouTube. Well, especially this year, but over the years, I think I spent more time on YouTube as the number one place I would search for things as in or diversify my search. And by that, I mean, we tend to go to the Google, right, as our course search engine. The Google. The Google, exactly. But sometimes, you know, you don't want to read through the information and you want someone to say it to you. And so why I am thinking about YouTube is that, you know, the first thing you see when you go on your YouTube homepage is all this curated video suggestions, especially if you don't turn off your algorithm settings. And if you notice patterns emerge, um, people now have covers for their videos. It's very, um, like the titles also have a similar pattern. And if you start to follow videos of a certain kind, like I'll be very honest, recently I've been binging Murder Makeup Mystery. (laughs) Murder, Um, wait, Murder and Makeup Mystery. That doesn't sound like two things that go together, but go on. No, (laughs) it's exactly the fact that they don't go together. And I think that's why, although I'm not a fan of meme culture, I think I'm totally behind understanding it because I love things that don't go together. And There you see people referencing memes, if not personally in videos, because I've noticed a lot more people creating their own YouTube accounts to be conversant in culture. And I actually do watch videos um, deconstructing films, deconstructing like cultural critiques of films and young people who want to talk about what. Okay, I'll be honest, I totally had no idea that like 
this e-girl uh, aesthetic and dark academia aesthetic, visco girl. I had I'm the eldest of three siblings. I had to ask my younger siblings, like, what is the visco girl eagle thing? Like, what does that actually mean? Right. So I I totally get you there. I don't have younger siblings, but as someone who likes to read consumer reports because of what I like to do professionally, it fascinates me. It fascinates me because it's like they're self-collecting groups. And again, while this might not be directly speaking about meme and answering your question, I think that it is my interest to understand these groups. I go to YouTube and from there, I hear them referencing memes regularly. To your point about like, they just use it every day, like in their videos, it's almost like memes have become another dialect almost, or like another form of language, right? In past episodes of this podcast, I've talked to other people and they've kind of said that memes kind of are macro, where like they combine a lot of different things in one neat little package to convey an emotion or a feeling that would take a long lot of words to express otherwise, if that makes sense. If I may add, actually, to that point, I just finished my two-year master's program with 46 internationals. And you're correct, I think. In that space, we actually do talk in memes. In fact, we started creating memes in our group because cultural inside jokes happen in your in your two-year experience with these people. And you take the template, the meme template, and you create one. And yes, we do communicate memes. And I think some work better than others. Now that we're talking about memes um, and as a dialect um, and in my lived experience, it is quite a global, glo- global symbolic way for people to communicate. That definitely, definitely makes sense. And, you know, it's almost like memes are, are, are memes going to be our Tower of Babel where we can overcome the tower with, with, our, with the memes. And, you know, another way to think about it is like memes are just a global inside joke, basically, it, it sounds like. You have your core friend group inside joke. There, there are things like we went to college together and you know there are things we could reference that no one else would, would really get. But then you know memes are kind of that just on a global scale, it feels like. I'm trying to imagine a context in which someone out of like decontextualized from the meme space would totally not understand. And I can't imagine someone who's not really internet savvy, who's maybe like really old, you know, who might look at a recent meme and not really understand it. I think there's some memes that are more self-evident because of their layout. You know, like the one I was just mentioning with a girl yelling at cat. If you see the, the text and the image, it's like a one panel comic in some ways. And it's not hard. Maybe they don't understand it's a meme and they might get a laugh out of it. I mean, does one need to understand that other people find it interesting and had known that it was like socially popular for it to also be understood as a meme? Um, but I could also see someone who's never watched Futurama, saw the tip standard meme template with the impact font, be totally confused about why it's funny. Yeah, I think that, that kind of adds, adds to that. Um, all right. So, you know, we've definitely gone on for, for a bit of time, but I had like one one last question, right? So obviously 2020 has been a year of social distancing and staying inside and virtual communication, right? So how do you think... In 2020 specifically, but also more broadly, just how technology has broadly impacted our lives, especially, you know, maybe is there a difference between our online selves and our in our flesh space spells or, you know, is in just the way we communicate with each other? How has technology changed that? And I know that can be a whole podcast by itself. Sure. I mean, to put it succinctly, I think COVID just made more apparent how digital we are. And if you hadn't crossed that divide, I mean, in my own work, freelancing, I've been getting more clients who are trying to get themselves into the digital space um, to the point of whether or not, you know, our digital selves are real selves. It's blurred. I think um, it's also personal choice. It depends on what dimension you're looking at it, because there's some people who think, well, my 
real life self is my real life self and the digital self is just this add on thing, but you do give your data away, you know, in subtle ways that you might not realize. And that could be this layering of the digital, like this differentiating and blurring is really harder to tell. But at the same time, I remember a time when the digital self was separated, but still yourself. It's just a different angle of yourself. I remember at a time when, you know, we had Neopets accounts and there was no pressure to have uh, your name on your Neopet. Like you can have some wild name, like, I don't know, not that this is wild, Angel Baby 101, but I can't tell you how many people had that like username. But that was also a great way for at least the millennial teenager experienced it uniquely as a space to be like, I am also this random name I gave myself and this artificial creation character, which may, for some people is a savior space to really feel out something they cannot manifest physically. But now I think there's more acceptance of all those type of layered identities. And since COVID, we have to communicate in this way. I think so. there was a recent statistics um, shown by the World Economic Forum of how among Americans, 60% of them would prefer to continue to work from home if it's possible. And But that's, of course, mostly focused on knowledge workers and not bearing in mind the people who are in the services industry, right? So I think that speaks very much to our digital selves merging with our real selves. Right. I mean, I mean, even right, like, you know, even though we went to college together and, you know, we we, we shared like a physical space together for, for several years, right? Like, you know, since we graduated, right, like most of our communication is, is online, frankly. And and I think, you know, that doesn't make our friendship any more or any less, right? I think that that's another point and for at least for me, where like our online selves have definitely blurred with like our quote unquote real selves. Well, Paulo, now that you've brought this up. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I, I mean, the last time we talked was literally in person, New York, I think um, more than a year ago. And yeah, no, it's an interesting development. And I think um, how we keep in touch with our contacts, I think we all can identify who's closest in our networks, but there's a familiarity and warmth. We all exist having um, these extensions of connections that we know that if we really need something specific, we could reach out. I wouldn't answer a call to do a podcast with just anyone. So I knew that this would be a fun activity. And um, I do like the fact that even though I'm not able to constantly keep up and manage every relationship I've formed since I've had any internet presence, I like to know that I can access and revitalize and recultivate those that I do have and also use it to continue the ones that I really do keep constantly. Um, as you know me, Paulo, like I've not been in a single place geographically for more, at least home-wise, for more than a year um, in the last seven years. So for me, you know, I have to be kind of a digital nomad. That's definitely a whole other, a whole other angle. It could be a podcast on itself. But uh, all right, that's that. I think that's enough hypothetical, sociological, waxing philosophical. Why don't we go ahead and dig into some specific memes of 2020 that either comment on technology or, you know, in my opinion, were specifically made possible uh, by popular technology. Um, why don't we go ahead and hop in wing? All right. All right. So this first meme, we'll, we'll do a softball. Uh, this is pretty tied to the current events of 2020. Um, why don't you go ahead and read some of these memes that you see on the screen? Sure. So I'm here looking at a lot of Zoom-inspired memes. The one that immediately sticks out to me is obviously the dog ones. One dog is like really disheveled in front of a coffee cup, Zoom meeting, audio only. And then there's this handsome dog poodle with sunglasses and a jean jacket saying Zoom meeting with video. 
Brady Bunch recognizable. I also love this one from Twitter. I think that's more text heavy, but like listing out that typical Zoom meeting starts off with waiting for the host to start the meeting. And then like six minutes in group discovers the virtual backgrounds and towards around 1.15, the actual meeting time actually begins. And that's after someone's held up a cat and then people saying like, stay safe at the end. Lots of Zoom inspired meetings across different platforms as well. Very visual heavy. Me and the boys ready for Zoom, wearing boxer briefs, walking around. Yeah, so you know, definitely I think these memes are... You know, I think kind of speaking to the prominence at which Zoom has kind of infiltrated our our society at this point because of COVID. What do you make of, I guess, people's tendency to let, make memes about Zoom and the specific things about Zoom that they made memes about? Like, why do you think this is the thing that we kind of glommed onto? Oh my gosh, there's so much real estate to talk about a shared culture. All of a sudden, everyone around the world can relate to this immediate jumping into Zoom. Like it's and once that happened, it became a viral tool. In fact, there's quite a lot of feature about Zoom and how it really struggled to catch up. You know, and that's why I got into so many issues with Zoom bombing, for instance, because they could not catch up with security. But given that, of course, people have a lot to say about Zoom culture. And I think naturally what you see as these memes are kind of the receipts of people trying to connect with other people on the agony of Zoom. It's like the office agony, but now turned into this broad but relatable global working culture. There's something ironic about, you know, wanting to connect about the troubles connecting on a platform where you're supposed to connect with other people, uh, if that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it does. Because I think it gets at the heart of the fact that not everyone loves meetings. And even though you have to be there, and now all of a sudden, there's all these different consistent formats, just the ability to mute yourself or change your background. And then everyone in this past year has gone through a variety of Zoom experiences to start to pick out these patterns. And when you see a Zoom that just hits hits close to home, it just further encourages more, more meme making among these people who have the time to do so. But also actually to your to, to what you do, right? Like on from a marketing branding side, I remember seeing a lot of companies like sharing, uh, like, hey, here's a high quality background you can use for your Zoom meeting on Twitter, like right near the start of the pandemic, kind of related to whatever their brand was about. We talk about, you know, obviously this is memes about Zoom, but Zoom in itself can kind of engender memes, right? Like there's this one meme we have of like, it's not really a meme, it's kind of like a funny screenshot. It's like, my boss turned herself into a potato on a Microsoft Teams meeting, which is, I guess, technically not Zoom, but close enough. Um, I can't figure out how to turn the setting off. So he just stuck like this for the entire meeting. And it's like a, a screenshot of the boss looking like a literally a potato in the meeting. So it's kind of like, one, yeah, it's the, it's the shared experience of the struggles of using Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams, but also the self, like if Memes are a form of self-expression, then Zoom itself has a lot of potential to enable that self-expression through filters or backgrounds. What do you think about, about that? Well, definitely. I mean, there's always also a limitation to expression because you're limited by the features. But one thing that you share that makes me think more about expression and individuality is the mistakes that can happen. I think um, every introduction of new technology kind of shows sheds some light on our humanity because there's always going to be this typical, mostly younger people who tend to immediately figure out the new technology. And then the people who are higher up, who are of course perfectly capable, but then at the face of this new technology is absolutely like incapable for that moment. And I think at the, at the same time, usually this happens in a context where they ha- these people in charge have to keep composure 
And I think it's in those funny, it's those spaces that interrupt what would otherwise be, you know, expected, boring meeting, but then it sheds some humanity into the work and it expresses accidentally someone's individuality and people make something of it. Um, uh, one other thing I wanted to, to ask you before we hop to the next one, right, is, uh, you know, definitely we've talked a lot about Zoom in the context of like work, right, and professional and use use for professional life, which again, like 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 you said, is is mostly for knowledge based based workers. Um, but you know, Zoom also has been used for non professional purposes, right? Like there's this trend I saw of. I think it's called zumping. Like, I guess anything is, is related to Zoom if you put a Z at, at the start of it. But um, it's essentially dumping somebody on Zoom, right? Or like also like Zoom Thanksgiving. So what do you think about like how Zoom has not only infiltrated our professional life, but also our, our personal life and the creative uses people are doing for Zooms? Sure. In fact, I have a, a very specific example. Um, I just celebrated my graduation on Zoom a few weeks ago. On one hand, we can say in hindsight, we're using technology in a creative way to to celebrate or, or pass time with each other. But we have to also remind ourselves that historically, these things happen because of a necessity. My classmates, we would have loved to have a physical graduation, but it's much better than it would have been better to have something virtual, even if it doesn't meet the standard of something physical as opposed to not having anything at all. I can definitely say that the experience, people were creative. You know, I think um, professors had to learn to like record themselves and just put together a video. In fact, our graduation was also supplemented with sort of Instagram stories and posts. So there was this kind of acknowledgement that the people they were communicating to, which was the graduating class and the families, existed in this kind of social media space as much as they were anticipating a known date for this graduation, while also being culturally aware of the fact that past graduating class earlier this year have also done Zoom graduations. It's so funny also to bring this up about like zumping and, and, and Zoom bombing, in fact, because um, having attended uh, a boot camp, a strategy boot camp in October and being victims of an awful Zoom bomb during that process at the final gala. God, it was awful. Um, it, it traumatized me enough to to take some time out to email the coordinators and organizers of our graduation to say, hey, please make sure you really look into this because you don't want that the Zoom bomb to be the things people remember, even if it may sound like a low threat. Because I was profoundly surprised by how much the Zoom bombing can actually impact um, an experience, actually. Obviously, if this is kind of like what we have at the moment and kind of if the Zoom graduation almost I don't, I don't want to call it replacing, but like is is kind of stepping in for for the physical graduation until hopefully you can have a, a physical celebration later on. Instead of being one small thing among a lot a lot more larger ceremony, it becomes the entire ceremony, and therefore any impact on that become has a much more lasting impact on you. The next category of me of memes we're talking and talking about are. Uh, there's somewhere between memes and trends, right? There are things or fads almost. Like there are things that happened on specifically Instagram and Snapchat, and they're enabled because of the features of that platform, right? So, you know, this next one coming up, you know, well, I'll actually go ahead and play this video. But I don't know if you ever remember, remember this one from the beginning of the year. Yeah, so essentially it's like a selfie video for a few seconds, and um, there's like a rolling graphic above their heads that's superimposed on them through a filter that's supposed to tell them like, what Disney character you're going to be. And then like an image actually shows up of a Disney character. And then immediately people react on the spot. And that's essentially the video that's captured. Uh, if I get Tiana, I'm gonna report Disney to human resource. I ain't playing. Oh, 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 oh,
did y'all get all out of? So it started off with a Disney character, and it kind of spread to there, right? There was like a which Harry Potter character are you? There's a which Pokemon are you? Which uh, Cartoon Network character are you? There's even one which I think you'll appreciate. Which font are you? Why do you think this caught on so much? Right? I, I I I see parallels between this and say something like astrology, right? Like you have your sign, and it's like oh Mercury's in retrograde, therefore my sign is acting this particular way, right? Um, but why do you think? we as humans have this tendency to self-categorize either through astrology or more specifically like this uh this kind of augmented reality filter oh many ways i think on i think on one hand people these filters give people more creative leverage because sometimes i think it's quite intimidating and overwhelming to just video yourself i mean there was a time where not everyone was creating youtube videos because it took a certain person to do that and become a youtuber now it's an aspired profession among Gen Zers, for instance. But I also think when you bring up the astrology point, it's funny because broadly memes represent a desire to fit in with the collective in some ways, right? To relate to something that other people have thought was culturally relevant or popular, you should pay attention to, you know, this com- this feeling like maybe I should know what the hell Rebecca Black, like her Friday video is, even though I have no interest in, in it or watching Game of Thrones. You know, like you want to be of the culture. But I also feel that these particular type of filter speaks to the desire to find your own space and differentiate. So on one hand, you want to fit in. But on the other hand, you also want to tell the world that I fit in, but I'm also different. That makes sense. I mean, if you if you take people, which I do, to be kind of paradoxical, self-conflicting you know, individuals, uh, I think that fits in, right? Like, like you said, we want to be part of a group, but then also have our own space within that group. One point that you brought up, right? Like that being a YouTuber is kind of like a desired career almost for Gen Zers to this, at this point. I think one thing that this technology does is as an augmented reality, makes it a lot easier. I mean, you know, we've seen for the past several years that like cameras and processing chips have gotten a lot cheaper to manufacture and therefore are a lot more readily available. And so, you know, more people do have access to be able to start a YouTube or in my case, a podcast because the technology is available out there. I think this augmented reality filter, which is basically open source and easily accessible to people, allows another thing for people to do. Um, so I think that's an interesting angle as well, where the technology, the physical technology um, and the software technology is now making it easier to do this kind of thing. Yeah. And I would say that the augmented reality specifically kind of cuts the edge a little bit off of representing your full self, because it's almost as if you're wearing an additional mask and there's a character you're playing and there's a bit of a distance you're creating between you totally unfiltered versus you literally filtered. um, And you become in some ways the visual moving representation of, I think, what used to be those uh, usernames that we used to hide behind that wasn't our real names. We'll go ahead and hop up to the next one, kind of in the sim- similar vein of the uh, categorizing yourself. So these are Instagram accounts, which I'll open up on screen so you can take, I don't know if you saw these over the summer either. I did, I did actually. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and describe what, what some of these are? All right, so this is essentially going onto someone's Instagram uh, profile and then scrolling through their feed. And you see in this example of what dog are you essentially a lot of very cute pictures of dogs with uh, the same font, just putting a name in front of them. Like there's this white lab called Arcana. Um, there is this dog holding a tennis ball came Erica with a double A. Um, lots of dog pictures. And yeah. And then there, there's some other ones, right? Like this, this one, which is what food are you? Oh God, it's making me hungry. 
Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, in fact, that's probably what makes these things so damn popular. If it's not attacking you with cuteness, it's attacking your stomach. Yeah. No. So this is kind of like the, the what dog are you? But now it's like what food are you? And there is some very yummy pictures of like sweets and spare ribs, and they also have names like spare ribs is Tatum. This cookies are called Brenda. If you're if you're a very sprinkled cookie, you're Brenda. You know there are others. I, I won't make you go through all, but there's also like what frog are you? What cow are you? What sandwich you are? The history behind this is sometime over the summer. I not exactly who started it. Someone started an account, and then they basically had it where you know people could submit their names to get in the queue, and then. They would find a picture of whatever it was, a dog, frog, food, cow, sandwich, cat to basically put on and then put the text on the name. And then it was kind of like fun for people to kind of, oh, let me find myself among this huge list of you know different things that I'm associated with. Right? There's also one thing, which SpongeBob meme are you, for example, or like which Simpson character are you? The interesting here, are, so one, I think this plays into a lot of the same things as the Disney filter, right? Where it's, you know, you have your own individuality while also being part of like a large group and wanting to self-categorize almost in a kind of astrology type manner. On the other hand, this is not quite as the same in my head as that because the Disney filter was something you did yourself using you know, the augmented reality filter that was kind of random, whereas this one is curated by somebody else. So these were mostly Gen Z individuals taking the list of names, and then they were doing the work to, let me find a picture that matches to, you know, Apollo, for example, or Wing. Like, what dog is a Wing? What dog is Apollo? And put it on the feed. Interestingly, instead of self-done, this was curated by somebody else. So what do you make of that? As someone who used to own a Quizilla account and make surveys for people, I just find it fascinating in your attempt to also differentiate between this and the the Disney filter example that the people's attention time span has gotten so short because the act of taking a quiz to figure out who you were was also part of the the fun, right? I mean, the Disney filter, it was interesting that you said this was something they did themselves when actually it's quite randomized, right? What is the algorithm? In fact, I think the essence of it is it's completely random. But here, what I find fascinating with the what XRU profiles is that we are almost more interested in what other people think about themselves or attribute to that we're trying to locate ourselves, but not participate, you know, because there isn't a survey you figure out. Of course, there's still that interest. I think that's why people do go online and fill out surveys and engage in that. But in this particular engagement and form, you're curious to know, well, what does the another Brenda think of themselves? Do, do I exist? And then when you realize, oh, shit, I don't, can I be featured? And I think this speaks a bit to this desire to have like your 10 seconds of fame. I think Warhol had said a long time ago, like everyone's going to be famous for like however many seconds in their lives, at least once. But now we're going to have that multiple times. And I think what this also speaks to is instead, if you don't have hundreds and thousands and, and millions of followers, put yourself out there, if not your full self, but like a, an extension of yourself on an account that has clout. You know, like a feeling like you book. It's not, it's kind of like the accomplishment, I suppose, one feels with wanting to go viral. So like if you manage to surpass whoever Gen Z moderator is holding this account to put you up there, it's like, well, I achieved this today in my life. There's two parts there. There's one of me as a viewer of this account. Oh, is my name featured? Oh, yes. Great. And you get a little dopamine hit of like my name is, you know, one of the many on this list. But the other is 
for these Gen Zers, right, to get their accounts go viral. That's like another element of that as well. So moving on, right? So this is one that's kind of a bit of a resurgence. So do you remember the FaceApp program? Yes. I never did it, yeah, so, but I saw it. <laughs> yeah, so so for for context for the audience, back in 2017, you know, there's this app that lets you adjust your face. You know, the the main thing was like, you know, oh, I can make myself older or younger, um, or like gender swap, or you know, there was a bit of a controversy where they also had filters for race in there, which they eventually removed. Um, but you know, gender swap images come up pretty often online, like not even just through the face app, just like in general. So there was a trend this past summer of specifically uh, celebrities getting uh, gender swapped. So why don't you describe some of the ones that you see on the screen? <laughs> sure. So um, these are all of celebrities. Like there's one of Robert Downey Jr. as a female or um, Eminem as female. Luke Skywalker also as this. Because after a certain point, everyone's doing it. It's not interesting anymore. But the ones that do get shared are like, oh my God, this person looks even better or like this person looks quite attractive, like I date him or her, depending on like the swap. And this also reminds me of like, what if you, like these two celebrities had a baby? What, yeah, what where, where, where does that like curiosity to see these like gender swap versions uh, come from, do you think? Oh, I, I think it, it's always kind of innate in all of us. I think it's quite natural for humans to be curious of like how else they could be. If I mean, physically... That's why we like fiction. That's why we like to listen to stories. I think there's a there's a bit of us that wants to explore other lives we don't live in this lifetime. I also feel that, you know, going back to Neopets, uh, back then the technology was not there, but you got to live for a moment, like through these 2D drawn animals as an expression of yourself. And of course, there were other like, uh, like Maple Story, for instance, were very limited ways to dress up your character, but you got to choose whether you're a magician or whatever. But now with this technology, it shows you straight in the face what you could look like. And I think the filters do the same thing. And I think once that, once you cross that door, you start to like really explore like, well, what other like ways do I look different? And then your life in some ways kind of unfolds like a rabbit hole, essentially all surrounding yourself. Speaking of like kind of crossing that door, um, this kind of tends to like, I think speaks to a larger conversation that needs, I think, to be had about deepfakes, um, if you're aware of what I deepfakes am, are. I am. Yeah. So that's that's a whole interesting thing, right? Because these are just still images, which are mostly harmless, right? They, they're still images of RDJ or Luke Skywalker being turned into the, the, the opposite gender. But there are video versions of these that are really kind of uncanny, right? And maybe it's like the tech, like for those of you who don't know, a deepfake is basically using uh, deep learning AI software to basically create images like this, right? And that, that seem believable and don't, you know, look like they're photoshopped or, you know, even kind of scarier, creating videos of these. I saw a video of, I think, a scene from Back to the Future where someone had deep faked in Tom Holland and Robert Downing Jr.'s face on top of Marty and Doc. Doc, she didn't even look at him. This is more serious than I thought. Apparently, your mother is errantly infatuated with you instead of your father. And that was seemed completely flawless. And then on top of that, there's the whole audio element as well, where people can start deep faking voices if they have enough, you know, corpus of language, um, which could be really scary, right? I mean, the, the the implications are right. You know, with Joe Biden having you know so many preachers out there, someone could presumably make a Joe Biden voice spot to try to fool somebody uh, with his voice and the way he talks over like a phone call. That's a whole other scary thing that technology kind of enables as well. Technology is able to enable a lot of scary, but also profound things. I think the, it's a matter of whether or not, well, this is now stepping more into like whether government steps in and to what extent government's relationship with uh, managing these technologies are. 
But yeah, no, I think the technology is only going to get more sophisticated. And what you we currently see now are talking about, like, it will be interesting historically, in fact, to look back on this, this podcast, because I think not in too late, we could be having Zoom meetings where we can have VR faces, you know, and actually alter our images. And I wonder what kind of dynamics that also brings. The other question is that how will this affect our ability to tell what's real and what's not on the internet if there's a potential for deep fake things to be, you know, spread so virally online? I think that's yet to be seen. I mean, on the most basic level, we can think about this from the level of fake news, right? And how much do we know that we believe to be true could have been fake? And we might be adamant to believe that I am sure that this friend that I deeply trust and know who's super smart would not send something that's fake news. But how do we really know, especially if there's no sort of certification, right, or or marker that, that differentiates or tell us. And I think what's fascinating here is not trying to live in a world where, in fact, going back to modernity, back to modern times, where there was such a concept as objectivity in the 20th century, as in this is God, this is black and white, or blah, blah, blah this is evil, this is good. Yes, it's good to have the diversity, but we have to brace ourselves, I think, that we're living in a world where um, we're coexisting with different truths, we're coexisting with different beliefs that's also being underpinned by um, floors that might not actually be real that we step on. And memes have never done anything to spread fake news, right? (laughs) Well, it also depends on what you're willing to accept yourself, right? You sometimes, maybe you know it's fake or it's wrong or you... Or, or in many ways, we don't, we haven't talked about this yet, but an aspect of memes is a very dark side of memes is that they can be quite racist and quite hurtful. And they are, they are well, like, especially from the 4chan community, they are shared knowing quite well the harm that they could cause, but it's considered funny for a certain group of people. The memes I've curated here are basically those I've come across kind of like in mainstream social media and not quite like the darker corners of the internet. But yeah, they're, they're definitely there as well. Kind of to, to wrap this specific thing, um, there's one deep fake I think that's like a little bit uh, not quite as scary as what we just talked about. So I'm going to play, play a video on screen for you. Wow. Um, this is what I would look like as a Disney princess. <sighs> I love it. <gasps> what? Yo, this filter is insane. <gasps> Elsa? This is so realistic. Damn, it really gets like every expression. So cool. <laughs> Why do I look so girly? <laughs> pink lips. It's a series of TikTok videos with people, actual humans talking, but superimposed on their heads are actually filtered pixar-esque animated characters where their their heads are supposed to be and it looks like a super real animation right and then there's this other one uh here which is super quick um he described what this one is sure so it's uh, again tiktok videos but and similar in style to the last one but now instead of uh pixar based heads you're having anime heads they basically mirror like typical anime features based on what your features are so i've been bugging around with this anime filter and apparently, depending on your eye size, it changes. So, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. See, you see what I'm talking about. And also, <laughs> all right. So I'm about to try this anime filter since everybody else is trying it. Does it think I'm white? 
right, here it is. I know you wanted this. It's a voice actor with the anime filter. Let's see what happens. Oh, I'm the typical adorkable anime nerd character. Yeah, that's not surprising. So let me tell you about microphones. Right. So, you know, this kind of combines, I think, a lot of the past couple of ones, right? There's like the, oh, what X are you kind of like describing? Oh, this is the kind of person you are based on which Disney character you are combined with the deep fakes of like kind of like the face app uh, images where it's like, oh, this is what you would look like as an anime character, right? Which, again, freaking amazing that like the AR technology and the processing power is able to like kind of compute this so quickly and in real time. I, I, I guess I just wanted to sew these off as like a, you know, this is definitely a trend that happened over this year. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm projecting like this is us wanting to live in like a fictional world and become a cute anime girl, basically. <laughs> well, it will be interesting to see because you can see like it's not totally perfect. And but I think this technology benefits so much from this mass group of people trying it out because it means more points that they can put on faces, right, to make this possible. So if we want to see it to be more sophisticated in the ways that you're thinking, if people continue to do this in these filters, it will grow. So, you know, like we said, you don't use TikTok that much, but you do watch some TikToks, correct? Mm -hmm. So here's another video of uh, another TikTok compilation video, um, which uses uh, what's known as the time warp scan. Have you seen videos of, of this yet? Ah, yes, this one, I have seen these. So essentially, there is like this blue line that kind of like freezes the frame as you move. And so you can create an image essentially of yourself as the blue line is being pulled down. Yeah, so you know, there's this one where like the lines going across, you know, horizontally across the screen, and then people are using it to like make their eyes look like they have like you know slits for pupils or like forked tongues or whatever. Or another common one is that people are uh, you know waving like a pencil in the in the air to like try to recreate the effect of smoke, like they're smoking something. So I think this is like this shows like a lot of like creativity. Um, there's also like you know people adjusting their faces to like look like Tim Burton characters. Yeah, that was uh, a quite popular one. Again, I don't know if this is like a meme so much as it is like a trend that just became super popular. And like you kind of alluded to earlier, it's kind of like the people participating in that uh, along with like the, oh, the technology is now enabled by the filters that TikTok. I just find, I just find it super fascinating that TikTok itself uh, is kind of like enabling this kind of thing. Sure. I, I actually, I love the question. I think it's, it reminds us of memes, but I don't think it is. But then again, if we're willing to make memes a much looser definition than potentially. And the reason why I differentiate is that we, I think from our standpoint, often associate memes as memes as like 2D. What becomes culturally viral is not specifically one video or one picture or one icon, but it becomes a gesture. So we're talking like this act that everyone has seen and maybe you've never seen the original video. And so I think it's the gesture that becomes viral now. This next one is not so much like a meme itself. I think it's like almost like a new, almost like a new form of template, right? So can you describe like what, what this TikTok that I'm sharing with you? What I see is a guy on this TikTok video walking into the door. He points out to basically like the space above and there's text and it says, I'm extremely lonely. And then he just walks back out. You know, this is something I find as kind of almost like a like a new image macro, right? So an image macro in, in, in 2D form is essentially like some image and you put text. And that's kind of like the mother meme, right? Like it's basically the idea that you take an image, you put text on it, that's your new template. Now the image may change, the text may change, but like what we talked about earlier, that's kind of like the template. Here it's I think TikTok is introducing a completely new kind 
of temp of mother template for memes where people are pointing to text for emphasis and almost like a mic drop. Yeah. Oh, but it's like almost like a chicken or egg question, isn't it? Like, um, like the TikTok created, like they definitely created the text function, but I think all the examples you've shown so far of TikTok shows how creative people are because of just interacting with this medium and the fact that there are people watching that it almost entices them more to do this. Cause I can tell you for a fact that I did use this template myself for a 15 second video um, for that strategy bootcamp I was talking about um, and have since started to use it because it's such a, especially in the world of advertising, how do you say a lot in a short period of time? Yeah. It's like, it's like basically a new form of communication almost, right? Like it's not audio. It's not visual, right? I mean, it is, it is visual to some degree, but it's not like the traditional, like, oh, here's just like an image that, you know, you, you ingest the information. It's like the whole act of pointing to something isn't in, is in and of itself becomes the thing. Perhaps it's an evolution of, of traditional forms. One thing that strikes me too, is that the more we engage uh, more eyeballs, more people seeing these trends, the more this becomes second nature. One example, like the longest for the longest time, people send CVs for job searches. But I can see people creating videos like this for super busy recruiters who just wants to also understand who people are and can recruit people without actually investing in having them travel, for instance. Yeah, maybe we'll be looking back in the future like, oh, yeah, this is totally where it came from, this memes. Well, um, then you get to yeah. call it. <laughs> so the, another another thing from TikTok, right, moving on to the next one, um, is this this other template, which I think also transcended TikTok itself. So you want to describe the, the TikTok compilation I'm sharing with you now. Sure. This one's called uh, Hurt My Feelings. And there's like a lot of people who are just smiling and there's like a text on top that's like, you think you can hurt my feelings, but... Um, and this person says, my dad helped me with homework at the kitchen table. So here, I think it's a compilation of people like sharing, like, you can't hurt me because I've been through something worse um, or I or I have something that makes me not afraid. The interesting thing is I actually saw this meme first, not on TikTok because I don't have TikTok. Um, I actually saw this first on the Facebook group Subtle Asian Traits um, where they took just the text, right? The whole, you think you can hurt my feelings and it was some joke about like being Asian, right? Like you think you can, I think it was like, the. It, I think it was the, you think you can hurt my feelings. My dad helped me with my math homework at the kitchen table growing up or something like that. It, it, I, find, I found this interesting that TikTok is now the origin for a lot of memes. Um, where it started on TikTok, it kind of spread to Facebook in the text format, not using the music or the video component to it. So, you know, what do you think about that new paradigm shift of TikTok becoming the source of memes as opposed to, say, uh, 4chan? That is quite an interesting observation. The progression makes sense because I think 4chan got at the heart of the sort of the most basic element of the meme, which is the desire to share something culturally interesting. But I think 4chan, as you and I both know, is also loaded with um, also unseatiness in terms of culture. And I don't think people feel comfortable being associated with it. Whereas TikTok, led by the youth, you know, it's fun. It's it's kind of has this harmless energy. It's entertaining. Your kids are talking about it. So now all of a sudden, it becomes like the go-to source. And I think it's augmented by the fact that a lot of branding agencies and advertising agencies in trying to sell their wares say, are you on TikTok? Are you following up? Is your brand on TikTok? So they further augment the importance. It's not to say it wasn't important, but it just adds to it. Now they're putting money behind it. 
I think I'll definitely right now is like the big wild west of TikTok before I think it becomes a lot more corporatized, like just the way YouTube was back in like 2006, 2007. Speaking of corporatized though, uh, there was also another thing from TikTok I think that's super interesting where, you know, dance challenges have been around for a super long time. Like I remember when we were in college, like Harlem Shake was like a big thing. Harlem and Gangnam Style got yeah. super big because of the dance craze. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. This is a video of WAP, right? Uh, the the mm -hmm. Cardi B song had a dance video on TikTok. And then, you know, Savage by Megan Thee Stallion. I'm a savage. Classic, bougie, ratchet. Sassy, moody, nasty. Hacking, stupid, what was happening? What was happening? I'm a savage. You know, the say-so dance. Why don't you say so? You know, these are like quote unquote TikTok dances. Right? There was this trend I find of how TikTok is influencing music in general. Oh, oh, totally. Artists are now making music to cater to the TikTok audience. So, what do you think about like that whole interaction between TikTok, which originally was musically, and the music industry? Oh wow, there's it's loaded there. I think it genuinely started off as a bit of an accident, but the intuition for artists to feel more connected to their fans has always been there because there's a history of the music industry making that difficult. So with the desire to connect on both sides, it just compounds when you realize that a catchy tune probably made out of the love of the artists and coming with dance sequences and it just so happened to go viral naturally, it then creates a pathway for what seems to be a formula. You can see that people who do these TikToks, they also enjoy it. There's like a creative element of engaging in this example here that we're seeing of the father and son. Like you, it doesn't have to be just you in a superficial way. It could also be with your parents, which is kind of the irony that's also brought in with that WAP song, for example, that was shown in one of them. So um, I and absolutely. In fact, I know Jojo, who is um, an American pop singer who's having a comeback recently, breaking away from the industry. She is making songs with the intention of getting people to to share. In fact, one of her songs got popular because it was uh, someone, a fan took it, made a dance sequence and then more people did as well. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of songs on that hit the top of the Billboard charts this year because they were they went viral in uh, in in TikTok. I think like Fleetwood Mac had a song go get near the top this year, and there was this one specifically for quarantine. Uh, it was the "Bored in the House" song. I don't know if you remember seeing this one, uh, but it goes like, "I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. I'm bored in the house. And I'm in the house bored." Okay, I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored. 
Bored in a house and I'm in a house bored. Bored in a motherfucker in a house bored and I'm bored in a motherfucker in a house bored. Bored in a house bored in a house bored. Bored in a house bored in a house bored. I'm bored in a motherfucker in a house bored. That captured, I think, the quarantine feel, which also people were literally born in their house, so they were making videos for for this as well. And what's interesting to me is that people want to share that with some stranger. You know, like maybe if you listen to a song and it invokes a feeling, you might text that to a friend or tell someone near you back then, which is naturally what we do. But now the desire to do that is beyond that. And I find that interesting. Maybe that says something about like how the new the new generation Gen Z and of taste and tastemakers and new celebrities are just feeling more connected with everyone in general on the internet as opposed to just you know, the people that they have physically in their life, kind of alluding to our earlier conversation. A worth another deep dive sometime in the future, but we also what we haven't really talked about is does impression actually mean engagement? We might on the immediate moment feel the dopamine of all these views and likes and reshares. And it seems like we're, for a moment we're bigger than ourselves. But then it also kind of becomes a bit drug-like, right? Because you get addicted to this affirmation. And so right after that, you want to do the next thing. And maybe on one hand, we see it as a chase, chasing after creativity for the new big idea. But I think you are, might have heard of like, sometimes these stunts can be quite deadly. Um, so don't do deadly stunts, whoever's listening out there, like stay creative, but safe. <laughs> which kind of leads, you know, nicely to the, to the next category of memes, which are participatory memes. Like you said, you're a graphic designer. I remember you in college, you would sketch and, and draw a lot uh, quite well. I think, you know, you might appreciate some of these. So this the origin of this meme is, is up here if you want to read that one. Uh, yes, it's, ah, <laughs> uh, yes, me, my girlfriend and her $500 foot, four foot, Tall Marip. And then there's a picture of a man sleeping with his... He's taking a picture of himself, but his girlfriend's next to him hugging this giant Marip plushie doll. Yeah, so this led to like a whole bunch of redraws, which I think is an interesting, another, again, another, not quite, I'm not sure if it's a meme, but it's definitely a trend where people took this initial kind of ludicrous image and then put their own spin on it and participated in this fad in the same way you would participate in the dance challenges or in the Disney filter, right? So why don't you read some of the other variations people have come up with? Ah, uh, yes, me, my girlfriend, and her $500 four foot tall chocobo. From, from Final Fantasy. Yes, the next one. Ah, yes, me, my girlfriend, and her $500 four foot tall bread plushie from your local bakery. And another one. Ah, yes, me, my boyfriend, and his 2,200 pound, seven feet tall horse. Uh, from Legend of Zelda, I yeah. believe. That, that, that's now that, that on this. We'll, we'll cover on this in, in a second, but there's another redraw one. Um, so this one was started in May of this year. Started out on Korean Twitter in late 2019 before hopping over to the uh, Japanese and later the, the more broad uh, Twitter, if you want to describe what you're seeing here. Basically a bunch of redrawns of Sailor Moon. Uh, lots of different artist styles, actually. It's from one exact image of Sailor Moon drawn in, in different artist styles. Yeah, so this is a Sailor Moon redraw. So, you know, as an artist and someone who's who's drawn and, and, and done art, you know, and, and graphic design a bunch. What do you think about like these participatory challenges? For one, there's a subtle cultural aspect of how much anime, I think, is an inseparable influence to a lot of artists, especially digital artists' careers, whether they subscribe to the style or not. And it speaks to also the accessibility of tablets and pens and technologies. I think I recently bought for myself an Apple pen and started to draw and procreate, for instance. And I was surprised how easy the transition was. You know, the technology has gotten so much better. But I think the desire to participate in this way, for artists, it's about refining their craft, refining their style, the invitation to redraw and share. There's a 
ready-made audience. You know, maybe fame isn't even the point, you know. In fact, many artists do it because it's out of joy. But now there is also the possibility of maybe people liking the specific style that they've drawn and also participating and then going to them for services. But there's other formats outside of the digital that also remind me of this gesture here is this desire to contribute your mark in a larger project, a collective project, such as, you know, these circulating uh, sketchbooks that projects that have happened where maybe you you own a sketchbook and you do a doodle and you send it off to someone else. And the joy of being able to see other people's work, which is an important aspect of this as well, and your own work. And then I love that there's a cat example in the Sailor Moon one. Again, here comes the anger cat. Um, because it also speaks to, it's like the meta conversation, this, which is like, oh, here's the people who are having fun. And then there's, the, of course, always that one person in the room who's like, let me take this on another spin. And then it invites other people to do the same. Right. And, you know, I think it's, it, it, it for me, memes, and this is my personal, I think, I think one thing, important thing about memes is that they're participatory, right? It's not something where it's like, oh, here's just a viral image I'm sharing. Here is a base template or some central idea. Let me put my own spin and my own commentary on it by making a joke about it or using another template that kind of, that tangentially relates to it. So I think, you know, this is kind of related. So now if, um, if like me, you're not skilled with a tablet and a pen, um, there were other participatory challenges you could have done taking part in over the year. So Getty, the, the photography uh, company, had a challenge out there. So yeah, why don't you describe the, the Getty uh, Museum Challenge? Yeah, it's it's a really, I think, creative challenge where essentially Getty is you know digitizing a lot of their work and making it available to the public. And the, the smart way that they wanted people to participate was to take one of the pictures from their archives and recreate it, essentially, and put it side by side. From examples of like um, the triple self-portrait by Norman Rockwell here as an example. And then next to it, a picture of a real life dog painting himself and then a mirror of himself. There's a lot of creativity there because the similarities and semblances are so obvious, but not one to one. But I think when you see it all like this, it just kind of has that very fun nature of how participatory it can be. And it makes you feel like you should do it too. Right. And this is definitely something that came like March 25th. So right after the shutdown happened, across here in the States, at least, uh, and probably around the world as well, you know, we were stuck at home bored without anything to do. And Getty smartly is like, hey, go ahead and do this and do something to pass the time, right? Now that you're stuck at home. Another one that started earlier this year is the Dolly Parton Challenge, if you want to describe uh, this one. First, first the Dolly Parton iteration and then all the other ones that came after. Sure. So Dolly Parton here has like this uh, four-part picture where there's four images of her and four texts on each of them. There is of her under uh, her LinkedIn image, her Facebook picture, her in her Instagram picture, and her Tinder picture. And each of them kind of shows four sides of Dolly Parton, the ones she would like to show for uh, these different profiles. Yeah, and then some of the spinoffs that, that came out of this, then if you want to describe some of the other ones. <laughs> there's plenty of different spinoffs. There's some from celebrities, like the Jonas Brothers, for instance. There's also some of like cartoon characters, Scooby-Doo here which is probably made by a fan, obviously, because Scooby-Doo would not be doing this. And one of a pug, so maybe like the owner did that. Um, but everyone doing their spin on what their LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Tinder 
profile pictures would be as a gesture of sharing like these are my four different personalities yeah this was like the first well i would think like a trend slash meme really this year that i remember writing down in my list and i think this is like super interesting because one obviously there's a lot here right it's a, it's a template right the, the linkedin facebook instagram tinder picture which you can then self-insert either yourself or a celebrity or could insert themselves or you can make one for a celebrity and then you know so it's, it's something you participate in and it's shared and then to this whole conversation that we've been having is kind of like reflecting how we reflect ourselves in different online spaces, right? And how you on LinkedIn is different than the you on Facebook, is different than the you on Instagram, on Tinder, but yet they're all part of you, right? And kind of like that whole different element of yourself and commenting on, almost commenting on like ourselves and our, and our online selves, how there's there are different versions of ourselves. I don't want to give this template too much credit, but I think one thing it speaks to me about is it's able to capture the nuances we want so much to express, but also in an accessible format, which is actually quite difficult to do in the sense of, yeah, how do we capture all of our multitudes? Remember when back when we were talking uh, about how people want to belong, but they also want to express their individuality in that space. That's a lot that I think people in a whole lifetime struggle to do. And in this moment, you get a little corner of the internet world to to do just that but and also get a reaction out of it and it has like that inside joke quality where like we all kind of get that like the picture i put on my linkedin is not the picture i'm putting on tinder right and we kind of we all kind of get that so yeah, I think this was like, you know, the last major meme of the year. Now this last sl- slide of, of memes I'm sharing is not a meme this year, but I do want to pay eulogy to Flash memes. So if you're not aware, uh, Adobe is stopping support for uh, Macromedia Flash um, as of December 31st, 2020. If, if we've been looking at kind of like the present and, and frankly, even the future of memes with Gen Z and TikTok, I do want to like pay tribute to some of the memes from days gone past that were enabled by the specific technology. Um, are there any of these memes that kind of stand out to you? Do you have any particular memories of? Of course. In fact, it's like a very specific time of my life when the peanut butter jelly song was like a huge thing and everyone was singing it at our school on jokes. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Way yeah, way yeah, way yeah. But Harry Potter puppet pals. <laughs> Let's go bother Snape. Oh, I remembered this land and new grounds. I'm a Texas tiger. You're a liberal wiener. I'm a great crusader. You're a Herman Munster. This land will surely vote for me. I never got into Charlie the Unicorn, but I was very well aware of it. Sean the Non-Believer! Sean! Sean! The Badger song, Badger, 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 no, I never got into that one. Um, but the one with the character without with the star on his shirt, what was that from again? Oh, uh, Homestar Runner. Oh my god, yes. God, I haven't heard that in so long. Welcome aboard the USS HomestarWarner.com. I am your captain, Homestar Runner. We had Trogdor, the Berniator, Berniating the Land. I definitely in high school and middle school when these came out, like I definitely remember learning all the lyrics to like ultimate De- ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny. Old Godzilla was hopping around. 
Tokyo City like a big playground When suddenly Batman burst from the shade And hit Godzilla with a bad grenade This is the ultimate showdown I mean, like, you know, Flash definitely enabled a whole generation of memes, right? And and informed a lot of a lot of these people went on to, you know, I, I don't have it listed out here, but they went on to have careers in entertainment based off of the work that they had in the memes. Um, I remember, you know, there's also, you know, like I didn't list it here, like, but the impossible quiz was like a Flash game that came about it. And like, you know, you had to get around the school filters, like there were these specific websites that had like Flash memes or whatever. So yeah, I just wanted to pay tribute to these uh to these Flash memes of, of days gone past and, and RIP to Adobe Flash. What strikes me as someone who's like lived through that this phase of Flash and now looking at the sophisticated, if you will, far time creations, trying to look into the future, I think the technology and the tools to animate and make these memes will only get better, higher quality. But the thing that strikes me as a creative, given that reality, is lots more people are going to chase after what is popular. Like there was a moment when I was um, trying to start off as a freelancer, I, I knew that people liked pictures of beautiful girls as a design, you know, um, and I could produce that creatively, but it didn't move me personally, like to do it, but I knew that that's what sells. And of course, here, we're not talking about making money, but in terms of just getting attention, which in some ways is a currency, right? And it just makes me think about how what we're missing, the way that you're seeing the creativity here in the Flash example, is this was like the new, like a totally new terrain and frontier. So there was a lot of like someone decided to take pictures of the president and make their jaws move or puppets as a, as a format. And I almost want, I think human creativity will always surprise us at the end of the day, though. So I'm not being pessimistic. So it means that there will be very interesting new platforms that are made. But I think there will also be a lot of work that's more on the popular end of the spectrum for viral or desiring to be viral purposes, as opposed to just like, I guess, this very philosophical uh, pursuit of artists trying to make things that are quote unquote original, which I think uh, many people today reject as an actual thing that exists because everything's remixed and like there's no such thing as an original idea some would say right i mean memes are i think in and of themselves kind of like emblematic of remix culture right like we take some pop culture we then turn it into a meme and then someone takes that meme and then puts their own spin on it and so on and, and kind of continues on down the line until it's so pixelated we can't tell what the original meme was anymore right um in fact i think that's only going to increase more so and it it goes back to real consequences as you said with um what's truth (laughs) you know where did the story start and what is history if it's always being retold in some ways right and you know i mean to one end like the internet again nothing dies on the internet it's always going to be there it might might be harder to find just because everything is going to be there but it's still there right so anyway i think that's like a, a good place to like you know start wrapping it up any closing thoughts on your end wing about you know technology how it saved our year and the memes we've shared and 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 so on not not really i'm savoring still the conversation we've had i think um this conversation has opened me to just how much is behind memes that i'm definitely going to pay closer attention to it in both my in my professional but also my curious mind yeah i'm it makes me amazed in some ways of what the future holds because if all this can happen in such a short period of time what next 
I know. Well, maybe I'll have you on next year for next year's edition <laughs> of Year and Memes. Um, anything you want to plug? Any any shout outs you want to give? You know, the floor is yours before you know to sign off. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? You can find me on just googling my name, <laughs> LinkedIn. I'm not someone who really has like the hidden names anymore in terms of like a Neopet. You can try to find my Neopet, but I'm sure my my pets are dead by now. Any 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 Zanga pages? Any Tumblr pages you want to plug? I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh man, I can't even remember. I I think I'm a serial like platform opener frankly they all represent different parts of my life i have no issue with creating accounts and then just moving on to the next thing i have i don't like creating so much history on one one particular site that's why i own seven emails and to facebook <laughs> in any case uh thank you so much for joining me wing i've loved this conversation and i i hope you and our and our guests you know enjoyed it as well yeah i um also wish everyone who's listening a good new year and um much safety and good health for everyone. Thanks again to our guests for joining us for this episode. And thanks to you for tuning in to the Year in Memes podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, please consider subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play, or to my YouTube channel. And make sure that you catch every episode for this year, as well as hopefully for future years. Also, consider leaving us a rating or simply share it with your friends so that other people can learn about the show. It really helps. The Year in Memes podcast is a Ninja Boy media production. Until then... Happy memeing. Somebody once told me his name is John C. Do you know the way? It's over 9,000. It's a double rainbow all the way. Study bit me. Damn. Daniel. Hello there. General Kenobi. Hey, you. You're finally away. So has your kids, has your wife. I'm a fire in my Super hot fire. I spit that. Oh! So just do it!